Hey friends, it's Melvin. Thanks for tuning into this episode. Here's just a few quick things I wanted to notify you guys about before we get started. First up, very soon, new episodes will be releasing Wednesday mornings rather than Tuesday. So don't panic if you don't see a new episode on Tuesday. Just wait a little longer and you'll see it in your feed. Second, we've introduced a mailbag. Check those show notes and toward the bottom you'll see a mailbag link. You'll then be able to text us any questions you might have about movies, the movie industry, or any movie-slash-Christian-related questions you might have. Then we'll respond in a future episode, so send us your questions now. Up next, Patreon polls, which are available to Patreon supporters at the $3 tier or higher, have been updated. Supporters can now suggest films or shows to be reviewed at the end of each month. The two most liked submissions will become the options for the Patreon poll, so if you want to hear us talk about your favorite movie or show, join our Patreon and start campaigning. And lastly, whether you're a new or long-time listener, please consider writing a review or rating the Cinematic Doctrine podcast on iTunes and Spotify. Apart from financially supporting on Patreon, these are the two most helpful ways to support the show. And that's it. Enjoy the episode. We are here to talk about family horror movies or teen horror movies because Daniel messaged me saying, hey, did you see The Night Books? And I was like, no. And he was like, no one else did, but I did. <laughs> and I want to talk about it. And so, yeah, what, what do you want to, what is it that, first off, what is The Night Books? And then what is it about it that, that wanted you to, that inspired you to talk about it? So I was in an interesting situation. And before we get started, it's, I... For whatever reason, this movie has one of is one of those weird titles where you just keep saying it wrong. Like I keep calling it the Night Books, and just yeah, isn't it just called Night Books? It's just called Night Books, even though we both are going to continuously call it the Night Books. Thanks, David Yoroveski. This is all your fault. You should have just titled it the Night Books. Yes, yeah, so or whoever. What is the J A White is the name? Of the now we can't even do a title, or, or I'm sorry, a sequel. Because what is it? The new si- sequel system is it's a uh, the Night Book, the Night Books more night books now he can't he can't do it the sequels are gone because he just has the, the night, night books, books. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's right the night books the squeakquel <laughs> oh man has there ever been a good squeakquel i, I ask. don't know <laughs> godfather to the squeakquel <laughs> <laughs> yes so i was in a situation where um we were going to have a movie night and actually they might listen to this because I, I know they listen to the show so shout out to them hey friends yes shout out to them if they hear this but we were in a situation where we had some friends over we're gonna have some friends over for a movie night and it's one of those things where there was a request from one of them to say like you know i know what time of year it is i understand that in all movies that come out are going to be horror related however i do not like horror films i do not like gore or violence or tension of any kind, really. <laughs> what are you going to so, watch? <laughs> I don't like anything with a complicating incident. <laughs> it's to, yeah, to be fair, they have reasons for it, so I don't want to bash them too I'm much. Not, but friend who is listening, I'm not mocking you. It's just that's very charming. Yeah, she she knows. <laughs> here's a blank. She, here's a white piece of paper. <laughs> read that. <laughs> she she knows that. Yeah, she 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 repeat she will repeatedly apologize for this, and I feel bad because there's oh, nothing wrong with there's nothing wrong with that. Like having limitations of what you can or cannot watch. That is any- good boundaries, honey. Yes. that's very very mature. <laughs> <laughs> that is so good. <laughs> and I kind of wish that I had this 
this i made that decision younger too because like everyone goes this period where they were like okay i want to fit in i don't want to be a bother i feel like any needs and desires i have are a burden on other people yeah so you just sort of weather the storm of seeing things you don't want to watch or experiencing yes. things you don't experience because you have not yet developed that part of you that's just like you know what i don't care if you like me or not i don't like this so i don't want to watch it or listen to it or whatever self-value and self-worth to the point that you would defend it yeah there's yeah. a great um anecdote from YouTuber who used to go by Mika Kitty, and now she's since decided to go by her own name, Tessa Violet, because she's become a pop singer. But she has this great vlog where she talks about how she was hanging out with this boy she had a crush on, and he was like, you like Red Hot Chili Peppers? And she's like, I do not like the Red Hot Chili Peppers. But she was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so for like the entirety of their friendship, they just listened to nothing but Red Hot Chili Peppers. And she oh was my like, gosh. I, I did not like them when it started. And this <laughs> says that she doesn't like them even more now. Oh, man. And I just think about it all the time, just like, this could be your chili peppers moment, Dan. You have to put your foot down. <laughs> yeah, that'd be rough. And I like that. I like them. Fine. They're just they're an example. So no, no offense to anyone who likes them. And I understand John Frusciani is a great guitarist and Flea's a great bassist and so forth. And Chad Smith is a serviceable drummer, I suppose. Hey there, it's your friendly neighborhood call to action. Just checking in on you. Hope you're doing all right. I'm just stopping by to say, you know, if you enjoy the show, you can always subscribe and write a review for Cinematic Doctrine. There's iTunes, Podchaser, basically anywhere you listen. You can give us a shout out with a thumbs up, five stars, gripping positivity. Or if you hate the show, you can say that too. Wait, what? What are you saying? Why are you saying that? Well, I'm not going to tell them what to do, Ted. They're free to do what they want. Our analytics say we got a lot of listeners in the U.S. and you know they love their freedoms. And you're also free to check out our Twitter. Very active there. We host polls, memes. There's also the Cinematic Doctrine Facebook group called Cinematic Doctrine Facebook group. If you want to join, just answer the questions, read the rules, and tell them the podcast sent you. Also, you should check out our website. Some really cool stuff there. Editorials, written reviews for movies we haven't had time to cover. Always check out cinematicdoctrine.com when you get the chance. Oh, uh, Ted also told me I shouldn't forget to mention the Patreon. Something about you can support us or something? Wait, Ted, I thought this was like a hobby thing. You it's want me to... expand cinematic doctrine. You know right, this already. Right, right, right. Yeah, I, <laughs> I forgot. I'm the one who put all this together. Yeah, cinematic doctrine has a Patreon. For as little as $3 a month, you can gain access to early uncut episodes of the podcast. Oh, and did I mention you get to tell us what to do? That's right. Each month you get to vote on a movie we discuss on the show. Anyways, I gotta run. So, I'll see you guys later. (laughs) But the nightbook. Anywho, I was on this quest. I was like, okay, I need to find a movie that's spooky for the season, but will not horribly traumatize my friend. So, So, I went through all these different options. And through massive amounts of Googling, I came upon this movie, Nightbooks. And I was... At first intrigued because it's a new film. This came out, I believe, this year like three or weeks late, ago. Three weeks ago? It was it was pretty recent. Wow, yeah. it's more recent than I thought it was. It came out September 15th, and mm-hmm. I had heard nothing about it. I heard not heard nothing, nobody talking about it, which is interesting because if you go through Cinematic Doctrine's Twitter follower list, you'll see that I follow a great deal of horror accounts. Like I follow Bloody Disgusting, I follow people who blog about horror, a lot of genre specific movie reviewers who have horror like tastes and also follow a lot of people who like cartoons and children's media 
so the fact that there was no no there's no crossover no one mentioned it intrigued me and i also saw that this was very well reviewed it got good reviews on uh rotten tomatoes and metacritic as well as good uh user reviews but there's no buzz whatsoever i looked up the author jay white he has like two thousand followers on twitter so there's just like this thing that has a name actor in it and has a decent budget and is on netflix and it is halloween so i was i was greatly intrigued by this whole situation as to why this was not talked about or viewed at all and then the movie night came and we ended up not watching a movie with my friends so i don't know why i spent hours and hours reviewing <laughs> looking for something to watch we ended up just hanging out and talking it was very nice but i was but this movie and its premise just stuck with me so much that later i uh, was talking to my wife sat her down we're like we need to watch this uh, my wife also is not a huge horror person for a reason. She specifically does not like supernatural horror. She used to like horror a lot when she was younger, but in the process of becoming a missionary and all this stuff, she has a lot of stuff that's weird as far as supernatural goes. So she'll watch something like Halloween with me because that's just a guy stabbing people or something like Freaky, which is so stupid and silly that it's not offensive to anybody. But like she won't watch The Conjuring. She wouldn't watch Malignant with me, anything like that. So we sat down and I was taken on a magical journey. And so... Uh, to begin with, Nightbooks has a great premise for both a children's story and specifically a children's story that's going to be adapted with what I guess you call a spookier harder edge. Uh, the premise of Nightbooks is a young boy uh, runs away from his parents' home and while in his apartment, so he leaves his parents' apartment and he's just wandering the halls, he comes across an open apartment door that has an enticing thing it and what is immediately charming is this is a boy who loves horror he loves horror movies loves horror stories he has norman dead alive poster in his room he has (laughs) yeah okay (laughs) he he has this movie's produced by one of the producers of sam raimi so uh that's why there's an evil dead poster as well Mm -hmm. and so he loves horror films and you see and this is a great motive show don't tell another thing that i immediately liked is you just see that his house is set up to look like a party and he's just crying and he's the only kid there and he sees parents arguing in another room and there isn't there isn't this moment where he's not like no one came and he ran away it's just it's implicitly there based on what you can see so when he runs out of his room he starts ripping down his horror movie posters so he rips down the lost boys he rips down the thing i'm like this kid's got great taste and so he's running and he runs by he's walking wandering his apartment and he looks and there's an open apartment door and there's just a TV sitting there playing the Lost Boys. And there's a piece of pie sitting on like a table <laughs> and he cannot resist. And I was like, awesome. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and so he takes a bite of the so pie cool. and he falls asleep and he just wakes up in this creepy old looking apartment. And a few things become immediately evident. Uh, one is that this kid, uh, immediately my heart went out to him. He looks like uh, Ralphie in... A Christmas story. He's got big glasses. And he's got kind of like a very like round face, uh, and his performance is really good. Like he's a really good child actor. And then it's immediately a lot scarier than you think because this this is looks and is marketed and packaged kind of like a children's film. And he's just in this apartment. He can't get out, and he's crying. He's screaming, and there's just dark, shadowy figures watching him. And it's legitimately a creepy scene. And then the, this cre- demonically creatures behind him. And then it reveals itself to be Christian Ritter playing a witch. And so <laughs> for those who are not aware, Christian Breaking Ritter is Bad. Jessica Jones. She's in Breaking Bad. Great actor. And she's playing this witch character. And first off, this witch character, total fashion icon. She's wearing 
amazing outfits the whole movie that are covered in sequins and she's got goofy colored hair and my wife immediately was like like goals. cosplay she, cosplay she, she was like this is great also she has like th- this old lady aesthetic throughout her entire apartment that my wife also has the same aesthetic like if you ever find yourself in my apartment for some reason like if you ever just break into my house and demand an autograph or whatever you will notice that my house is covered in what look like cursed items uh, we, <laughs> what we like to do so it's like a mixture between the house from uh, the conjuring movies with all the items plus plastic everywhere because it's like a grandparent's house <laughs> so no plastic but we're, <laughs> to give you an idea of the kind of aesthetic that we have outside of just walls covered in books because we're pack rats when it comes to books uh my wife goes to places like savers or salvation army and you know how like when you go to this when you go to thrift stores you are looking for movies books clothing mm-hmm. and then there's all this like houseware stuff that everyone just ignores because it's new dude it's gross you never touch it she goes right for all that stuff she gets old family photos like stuff that's that awesome. you assume would be cursed and she's, yeah. they're just currently covering our walls at my house that's so, so one, cool. one day one of the paintings i'll look at it and i'll see that all the family members have disappeared from it and i'll turn around and it'll just stab you to death and that is how i'm gonna die one day <laughs> you're gonna be in a david samberg short film yes <laughs> like a look and then just like it's family portrait and I look again and the the dad's gonna look again the mother's gone in the shadow <laughs> yeah, yeah. And replaced by shadows yeah <laughs> so, that's cool in, in addition to predicting my own death uh, with this film so this apartment is this ever-changing uh fluctuating place so one second you walked down a hallway the hallway move and you open a door and it's a different room that kind of thing cool and there's one other kid there in the apartment and there's a cat that turns invisible that at first is kind of antagonistic towards him and the girl that's there with him and then later they kind of become friendly and so uh, the great thing. So initially, Christopher picks him up and goes, "What can you do for me? What use are you?" And he's like, uh, uh, "I don't know. I don't know." And she's like, "Okay." And so she's like, "I guess you're gonna die." And so she's about to tell him, "He's like, <laughs> I, I I write scary stories." And she's like, "Okay, you have to read me a scary story every night." And so he, what he has is he has these notebooks of scary stories he's written, and you get the impression that he's kind of ashamed of them. Like he grabs all these scary stories before he leaves the apartment. And so it's implied that he's planning on going down to like the it's boiler room to burn them. And now they're kind of his lifeline. And so this other girl who's been there forever is just like, all right, here's the rules. You have to keep the witch happy. And he takes him to this giant library that's like infinite. It's like the library in Beauty and the Beast, only spookier and bigger. And so from there is our premise. He has to keep writing scary stories or this witch lady will kill him. And then from there, they kind of figure out where they're going and what the situation is. And that's kind of like as far as most of the plot I'll give away because there's legitimately some good reveals throughout the movie and the movie is actually scary for a kid's start. Like if you go to Rotten Tomatoes or look at any review, one of the things that people keep mentioning is this is actually pretty scary. And like obviously if you're a horror like junkie, this isn't gonna be like the scariest movie you've ever seen. You're not gonna be blown away by like anything. But looking at through the lens of this is a children's film, you are constantly caught off guard by the types of things that happen and the legitimately kind of creepy set pieces. And there's also a lot of creativity on screen. For example, whenever he tells one of his stories, the movie cuts and he gives like this big dramatic, like he's like, all right, my first story is like the playground. And it gets this like big title screen, like dun, 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 it's like the playground. Fun. And then it cuts to what I can only describe as an old horror silent film. Cause there's all these paper sets that all the actors are on. And all the actors are wearing like very, old style makeup and so they're acting out his scary story and they're like a kid's scary story and it's like really charming and cool and the music is great and Kristen Ritter is witch and so in most children's films they'll try and make the witch sympathetic 
or likable. But no, she is just like outright just evil. evil. <laughs> she is abusive towards the children. She's constantly belittling and being very mean to them. Um, she's very threatening towards them. And there's a genuine sense of danger towards the children because it's later established that like she has killed lots of kids <laughs> and it gets brought up multiple times throughout the movie. And there's also a sequence where like they have to like do something with some creatures in the house and the creatures are like these spiders with skull faces that chase them around. And there's a whole extended like alien sequence where the kids are like almost repeatedly murdered. And there's one particular moment where like they do the thing where like and something is stabbing through the glasses they're wearing and they do the spot where like the spike is really close to like the iris of their eye and it's like <laughs> nice. oh my gosh and there are multiple times in this movie that my wife and i turned to each other and we're like is this for children like is this appropriate for children and that's apparently a sentiment shared by a lot of people because if you go over to jay white's twitter account there's he's, he's he live tweeted the debut of the movie and there's a specific thing where he's like i was watching the group of friends and someone turned to me and were like, is this movie for children? And I've never felt prouder of my life. <laughs> so he is very happy with the movie that he's made. And this is like a pretty solid film. If you look at the the writing and directing duo, I believe they're the people that did The Curse of La Llorona, which from what I heard is not a very good movie as it's one of the one of those conjuring movies. <laughs> one of those conjuring movies. It's, it's a whole extended yeah. universe of movies, I suppose. And so like if you take all of that, but then like dumb it down, not dumb it down, but if you like dial back the content and aim it at children, uh, suddenly you get a much scarier film. Well, you have, this is directed by David Yaroveski, who did Brightburn, he did The Hive, and uh, The Hive is definitely an adult, very bizarre harm zombie movie. I don't know if you've seen it. I have not. So Yaroveski did music videos, and then he made The Hive, and it's shot and edited like a music video, and it's worse off than Suicide Squad. It's like... It is disorienting to watch. Um, unfortunately, it has some nudity in it, too. So I'm more just mentioning it as a movie encyclopedia, not as a recommendation. But what's kind of interesting about The Hive is that all the zombies are hive-minded. And so like, it's a really interesting premise of like as people are turning into these zombies, you're seeing as they're like hive-minding together. Meanwhile, there's a mystery. And so like when he's becoming a zombie, he's able to solve the mystery because he's jumping into the minds of the other people. That's kind of cool. Yeah, it is pretty cool. But it's edited like an MCR music video. And so it's really disorienting to watch. I remember watching it with my wife and I was like, uh, when does the movie start? Because I think it's still the title sequence. It's like been 30 minutes. <laughs> it's like, no, it's been the movie. Is it like one of those herky-jerky music videos, like a Marilyn Manson video kind of thing? <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's, it's rough. Um, if, if it's on like, if there's like a site that does like cutting nudity, because it's totally needless. Um, and you can already imagine how, since it's a hive mind thing, how it'll apply. Um, you can uh, definitely give it a soft, soft, soft recommendation. I think I gave it five out of ten because the editing's annoying. And then Brightburn I thought was terrible. But Brightburn has some cool scares if you turn your brain off and you watch them as short films. So when I saw that he was attached to night books, I'm like, okay, like this is a guy that even in my review, because <laughs> Brightburn it was like the sixth or seventh cinematic doctrine review when it was a solo project. Um and even in that, I was like, there's potential for this director to keep doing horror and the fact that his next project is a horror kids movie is really fascinating to me and so i'm definitely going to check it out based not just on that but your recommendation because like i think we've talked already about like 
there was an episode or two ago or three where we were like, just make your villains villains. You don't have to give them some sort of backstory. Oh, it was in Venom. We were talking about it with um, Carnage. Carnage. That it was like, oh, they tried to make him sympathetic in the last three seconds by saying his family abused him. It's like, no, just let him be evil. <laughs> I just want a villain. Like, that's all yeah. I need. And then they don't they don't commit to it because I guess it's too evil. I don't know. I, I will say that Ritter's character, who is for all intents and purposes, the evil witch of the movie. I don't know if I even call her a witch of the movie, but she is. <laughs> her actions are Demeter, and the fact she's magical powers, she is essentially an evil witch from like a fairy tale. They do dig into her backstory a little bit, and it gives her character motivation, and it gives her character reason for what she's doing, but it's never in a, uh who are we to judge? Like, it's not that whole thing of like, yes, but who is the villain? Is maybe perhaps it is circumstance. Like, they don't do that thing, which right. like, yeah, we're talking with Carnage. We're trying to make him sympathetic, but like, no amount of sympathy is going to make a serial killer <laughs> a, more, a more relatable character. And if they wisely do that here, because one of the things that's interesting is like Nightbooks really taps in this thing where horror for children is interesting, partially because. The fact that like perhaps his target audience isn't particularly interested in moral ambiguity, it makes everything scarier in kind of a more straightforward way, way where there are very direct, clear stakes. Uh, there are stakes that a children will understand, a, a children, a child will understand where you may never see <laughs> a parents again. Children. A a children, a flock of kids. Is that like okay, like A, you may never see your family again, which is scary. B, you are isolated away from your family. And then see like the added layer here where this is a child who's constantly being appraised for his work, where every time he reads her story, she gives him notes like she's critiquing it. She's making fun of him. <laughs> and that's like, how the adults connect with the movie. <laughs> that's how adult that's but like I was sitting there thinking like, man, this is my nightmare as a child. Like I'm reading stories I've written for myself. They were never meant to be heard by anybody. And now an adult's making fun of me. Like, yeah, she's like, everyone knows that vampires do this, you know, and stuff like that. Like you need to work on your facts. Like this is not accurate. And she's just belittling this kid's work. And I was like, this is scarier than anything. Like, I think a kid is like maybe vaguely aware of his mortality where like a child understands that if I die, that's bad. But I think a kid's going <laughs> to really hate the yeah. idea of someone yelling at you for what you're doing, even though you put your heart totally. and soul into it. Yeah. And so it's like these multiple levels of stakes where as an adult or even as a parent, like obviously you're going to have that like empathetic feeling of, oh man, I, I would hate it if my kid was kidnapped by a witch. But also you're like, man, I hate seeing children in danger. I want them to like, I wish I could save these precious babies, that whole thing. And so it kind of is one of those movies where it, it is where if you watch it as a family, which is how I'm pitching it, it's spooky and scary in a way in a way that like it's appropriate for like a sleepover. Maybe if mm-hmm. a kid's like six or seven, that's maybe maybe a little too scary for them. But like everyone in the family watching it will connect to a different aspect of what makes the premise scary. But also like if you're just a family that enjoys movies, you'll like these a lot of cool sets, the special effects. There's one dodgy CGI effect in the movie, which is the invisible cat. He's often CGI'd in a way that is a little obviously CGI. But it's also a cat, so you just you love it because people love animals in movies. Yeah. So like, yeah, it's it's going to be this thing where everyone watching it is going to enjoy it at a different level. And if you like movies, it has a lot of the movie things that you like. It has fun performances. It has good special effects. It is boy is it slathered in Halloween. It's it's not just scary, but it is kind of a weird celebration of 
the type of people who enjoy Halloween for what it is. And it does a lot of the emotional beats of a family film, but in a way that feels earned. Like the whole movie, there's an underlying thing of outcasts, people sticking together, whatever. But there aren't these like long monologues, which really bug me where I feel like some movies, there's just, there's anything right where a lot of things now they're like, who's to say who's weird? Us weirdos got to stay together. Being weird is normal as a setting on your dryer. Like the, the second act scene where like at the end of the second act, the protagonist stands up and reinvigorates everyone's energy by giving a speech and then they go fight the bad guy or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's a little bit of that in a way that's appropriate for a, again, something that is ostensibly a children's film. Yeah. But like it is, those moments feel earned and they happen in a way that it makes sense that these characters would be having these types of conversations. There mm-hmm. isn't this like overdone, like, come on, kids, it's okay if you're different kind of thing. Yeah. That is sort of implicitly shown just in the way the characters act and the fact that our hero is the type of kid who has a dead alive poster on his wall, whose parents are very permissive of what he watches. Apparently, uh, yeah, like, yeah <laughs> like I don't know. I don't got this horror movie stuff, or whatever. It makes the kid happy, you know. There's also one of the cute details when you see the parents early in the movie. They're both wearing the skeleton costumes that like Phoebe Bridgers wears on stage. So it's like, man, his parents really support him. They really want to be there for the weirdo kid. I love it. So mm-hmm. that is my recommendation for Night Books, not just as a movie, but as a Halloween movie that you can watch at a Halloween party or with your family. Nice. I will say, if you have a kid who's very nervous and is like they are not yet ready to handle like the monsters and like Lord of the Rings or something, this movie is likely going to be much scarier than <laughs> they're ready for. For example, there's an elevator scene in this movie that I thought was objectively creepier than the elevator scene in Candyman. So <laughs> just <laughs> yeah. throwing that out well, there. There you go. Yeah, well, what, that's a good rating skill, though, with Lord of the Rings, because what is it in the, the first one when they're in the Mines of Moria and they get surrounded by the, the orcs and they did like a bunch of action zoom in shots of like the prosthetics. And there's like one that just literally looks like death. Yeah, <laughs> it's just like the scariest one of the scariest. Or the ring wraiths, you know. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, the ring wraiths are just just terrifying if if your kid is freaked out by a large marge scene in peewee's big adventure then maybe <laughs> there you go well, yeah what's the kid spooky scale like what's a what's a good barometer for i don't know movie? i mean i so when dan messaged me this idea i was just like well wow, what are the logistics how do i do this what am i supposed to do if we're just putting up an episode that's not a normal weekly episode so i got my brain working to sort of write down like just a list of family friendly or kid friendly stuff that i think is a fair barometer you could tell me what you think about this i'm ready to criticize your ideas melvin i have like 10 or so movies 11 here um some obvious ones i, I stuck with animated ones because like i think the fair i was about to say this is what i was about to say is that because it's animated it's less scary that's not true because it's animated, everything is much easier to to accept as real. And so when things are scary and something animated, it's t- sometimes it's freakier. Um, case in point, Courage the Cowardly Dog, which has some very, very frightening episodes. They're probably not as frightening as they would be now, like as an adult. But like, I don't know, Return the Slab or Suffer My Curse petrified me as a child. Oh, yeah. That is a very, like, I was not allowed to watch it anymore because <laughs> it was just really too scary for me. Um, when I was a kid and, uh, but I wrote down Coraline, Paranorman, Over the Garden Wall, Encourage the Cowardly Dog as like, sort of like baseline, easy gateway sort of horror, especially, and I mean, gateway, not as an adult getting into horror, but as gateway as in, I am, 
<laughs> new to the earth <laughs> and exploring the world that exists and horror is a thing that is have never touched what do you what do you think about those four things Coraline Paranorman Garden Wall and and Courage well the Garden Wall is interesting because it's definitely I think the perfect as I recommended it in a previous episode and I think we're reviewing it now because it won the Patreon oh, poll okay. yeah Yes, if you if you are news to you because I forgot to tell you. <laughs> oh well, I got to find <laughs> out live with our listeners. Hooray! Uh, as if you are, if yeah, as, as if you are a regular listener, or if you're on our Patreon, you get to vote and dis- and force our hand, uh, which I guess is not the best way to to, to describe voting. <laughs> but ah, bummer! We have to review something we like. Yeah, uh, 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 yeah. Over the garden wall is. And we'll get more into this in the review, but I, it's on that line of being horror. Like, Courage to Carry the Dog is decidedly supposed to be scary for children. Over the Garden Wall is never scary, but there's this pervasive sense of otherworldliness that sort of in, in, infects every area of the show. Well, it has like a dread and a melancholy to it. There is definitely a dread and melancholy. Those yeah. are two very accurate words for the show. Like ob- the first thing I obviously everyone's going to think of is the the village with pumpkin-headed people. It's great. Where <laughs> what it a wonderful is, episode. It is a it's wonderful. It has this like it has the premise and setup for a scary story and then just such an absurd payoff that you're just like, I'm not even sure what I'm supposed to be feeling right now. And then of course there's the whole thing with the beast and the woodsman and all that stuff. It's an exploration of fear. So it has all those tropes as signifiers of a scary story, but they're not implemented in a way that's dreadful or scary. Well, isn't that kind of how scary stuff works anyway? I mean, you're, you're afraid of something and you're waiting for its payoff. And then sometimes like in garden wall, it does pay off to be actually something scary. And then other times it just pays off to show you that sometimes you're afraid of things that don't really make sense. Right. I mean, right. that particular episode will of course broadly <laughs> draw into it. Cause the real, cause my draw away from that show even is just every episode is an exploration of different types of fear. Um, some fear that's exciting. I mean, the fact that one episode is, I want to see a ghost. It's like, sometimes it's fun <laughs> to be scared. And sometimes you're disappointed when you didn't get scared. Sometimes you're, you experience the scariest thing of all, which is to be on a riverboat with singing frogs. Yes. Yeah. The thing we're all afraid of. <laughs> Mr. President, I can't believe it. You found your family. <laughs> but with, with something like Garden Walls, like, it's really putting to test that like sometimes being scared is silly. And I mean, that's why... We're big advocates of horror movies or even having an episode where we're talking about here's a family friendly horror movie, dot, 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 maybe because <laughs> Nightbook sounds like it's actually pretty scary. Yeah, I don't want to hype up Nightbooks as being like the scariest movie of all time or something. <laughs> I, I was never scared throughout the movie. I was more consistently impressed by, oh, wow, this is a kid's movie and they actually did this. So. Mm-hmm. Though I did just say there's a scene in it that I found scarier than a scene in Candyman, which is to say I never found Candyman particularly scary. But yeah, well, not a lot of people I think found Candyman particularly scary. I thought it was effective, but that's for that review. But as far as like, yeah, those I think those are great. Like as a child, those are some of your first like dipping your toe into the to the realm of horror. With I think Coraline being the scariest of the bunch by pretty wide margin, where because Coraline is. Paranorman, there's this, this almost tongue-in-cheekness to it, where the underlying thing is that what's really scary is human prejudice. And with Over the Garden Wall, it's kind of like you're saying, where it's almost it's almost it embracing the absurdity of fear. We're like, and not to spoil anything, but like there's an actual root fear at the heart of Over the Garden Wall, which is a fear that everyone at some point in their life has probably perhaps felt. And it's about ultimately facing it and realizing that it's not that scary in the end. 
Well, Coraline is just a bizarre, scary story mm-hmm. where that is specifically terrifying to children. And as I've mentioned before on the show, but I'll never stop mentioning it because nothing sums up my weird dad more than anything. But it was my dad found the movie so unpleasant that he got up and left and was like starting to cry and, and made us turn the movie off because he just found the premise so upsetting, which is, you know, a, a girl is essentially taken away by evil parents, but the evil parents are so creepy and weird. I thought of like this, like what kind of makes Nightbooks interesting is it's you have dedicated horror people. Like you have the Piper and director, you have the La Llorona writers doing a thing for children. It made me think of recent Eli Roth projects, like the house of the clock in its walls. Oh yeah. I heard that was um, that one I hadn't seen, but you're just reminding me that I remember even in our Syndoc Facebook group, someone saw it and was like, they were actually, uh, they had bad takes on movies, but they, and I think their bad take, their take on this was bad, but I think their take made sense. Are they still in their group? Or are you just like throwing them the right now? <laughs> I didn't say who they were, <laughs> um, but they had, um, see, I'm even using gender neutral protons, pronouns. So you have to, you'll never know. I hope, but... I hope it's your wife who does post in the group. <laughs> <laughs> but, but they had been like, I am so upset with this movie because it's way too scary for kids. It's way too scary for this, 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 whatever. How is this made for kids? But then I was like, that's interesting, though. And we both were like rubbing our hands together like, that sounds great. Yeah, <laughs> like, I'm like, this, this sounds great. actually kind of interesting. And I think because I've said it many times in the podcast, even when it was just a solo thing where I was like, I think it's OK for like when I was a kid, I liked horror stuff. That was always like I wanted to explore it. I wanted to like like it gave me that strange feeling in my stomach that I was like, hey, I've never felt this before. I want to I want to f- learn about this. I want to figure it out. Now, I don't want to be petrified. That's sad. <laughs> I don't want, like that's I would not want that for somebody. But I do think like part of growing up is learning and exploring things that in a safe and appropriate manner. And like when it comes to something fictional that's only 90 minutes, I think that's a pretty effective way of exploring and understand things, especially if you have a parent or a friend who can kind of parse it out with you and ask you questions because that's what makes movies fun is to figure things out. And yeah, so I, I remember that one was one. I had some other horror movies, though, that are a bit more teen, maybe. But like, I put down one that I think you were trying to mock me for called Polaroid. Because <laughs> I was like, hey, I saw this movie called Polaroid last year when I was just sort of killing time. And I thought it was enjoyable. And then d- d- <laughs> then Daniel texts me the Rotten Tomatoes screenshot where it's 0% on r- critic rating and 29% on audience. And then you just go this one <laughs> and i'm like hey <laughs> i had never heard of this movie and i i literally was just trying to get clarification on it because there's a part of me that's like there's no way this is the one that he he's talking about because everyone's everyone seems to hate it critic and audiences alike why well, so i even went back on letterbox to check out my review and i gave it a five out of ten but i remember <laughs> you also gave it a bad review <laughs> that's not bad five five and up is good Five and up is good. If I'm doing four and below, it's bad. 50% is a failing grade, Melvin. 50%? No, I don't know. Out of 100, <laughs> you ever get 50% on a test in I'm school? not doing it out of like that, though. Five, six, seven, eight, nine, and 10 are positive ratings. Five being like, it's fine. And then four and down for me are different degrees of bad. Four being, it almost made the cut. Three being so bad, it's good. Two being just bad. One being offensive. That's kind of how I break down. Always figure out reviews or reviewers and critics personal rating scores because you never know. Yeah, because like two out of four 
depending on yeah, who like, it is. Like, can what be is that? Yeah. That can be positive. That can be negative. <laughs> yeah. Two thumbs up. No, that's not. I don't. I'm not. <laughs> I feel like it's unambiguously positive. Either. But um, no, I and I probably would bump it up to a six because I've thought about Polar- Polaroid, <laughs> not in terms of like, wow, it's really deep and inventive. But like, I remember thinking like, this is like a pretty fun like if I was 13 and I was trying to find horror movies to get into, like the premise is they find this haunted Polaroid. It's as simple as, as and it's definitely based on a, a short film of which it is. When I looked it up again, I saw that it was. And the guy actually did a movie that I'm pretty sure we talked about that you and I liked or. Oh, yeah. He, he directed the latest Child's Play. Oh, yeah. I like that movie. Yeah. And so, like, he has, like, a good sense of horror. And, like, even I know the latest child play is, like, a really good horror comedy where it's just sort of nonsense. But, yeah, Polaroid, it's a fun horror, fun teen horror movie of you take a photo and then whoever's in it's going to get killed. And so there's one point where she takes this photo of, like, her friends at a party. And you're just like, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. And then she takes the photo, sees that someone's in the background. And there's some pretty good, I don't know, it's just, like, it's it's it was enjoyable and fun. But I guess people are just so stuck up about horror movies nowadays that like if it's not a 24 and if it's not about like, ah, it's a breakup movie and people are killing themselves. Then I guess I don't know. It was comfy. I had a good time with it. (laughs) Don't make fun of me for my taste, guys. (laughs) Um, But that one's good Um, for Christian listeners. It might be bothersome because I think the protagonist is a lesbian, but it's also like there's no sexuality. (laughs) They're going to say like they're an atheist. So that bothers you. (laughs) That's right. Um, They die or something. I don't know. They'd be less bothered if people die. It's people. If you rip the photo that the person's in, it'll kill them. So you can't get rid of the photo. The person has to die no matter what. It's great. It's (laughs) it's so so fun. It's it is the perfect like you had people over and you're just like, what are we gonna put on? I'll put on Polaroid, and then you're all talking during the movie, but you're having a good time. Yeah, we've all been in that situation, Melvin. What? It's like (laughs) parties. Have you not been to parties, Daniel? It's a a Polaroid kind of evening. He says, you know, I can picture like the old print ads. You know, it's a horribly inoffensive movie it's great it's it is so fun i put down scary stories to tell in the dark because i remember bringing that up again with my wife and i was like remember that time where it's just actually just scary and like it is just a freaky movie i texted you back when you're talking about night books and talking about like horror movies that are weird for kids and i was like yeah it's scary stories if, if some of the listeners have seen it the scene in the hospital is just a nightmare like, I'm almost positive I've had a nightmare. That is the hospital scene in that movie. And it's typically the takeaway for most people. But even the last story that they bring into the movie is pretty freaky. And I'm always looking forward to that sequel. Um, Stephen King's It miniseries uh, is technically rated TVPG. And I think that's pretty dope. And that has the good balance of like the first half is a kid's movie and it's actually really great. And then the second half sucks. So that one's a fun one, which the second half, any children watching it are going to be bored out of their mind. But that one's pretty good. I put down the escape room movies, which are pretty goofy and fun, which I was so bummed to see. Nobody liked the second one as much as I did. But that one was fun. Happy Death Day, if you're an older teen, I guess is a good one. Oh, yeah. Those are great, Uh, especially because they're barely horror movies. They're barely horror (laughs) movies. They're just like dumb (laughs) especially the second one is not a horror movie at all it's more of a science fiction exploration of of a boner comedy it starts out as a horror movie for like five minutes and then the movie's like nah (laughs) it just does something else yeah and then it's a science fiction horror movie but um happy death day does have some like kind of nudity in it but and then uh, Ernest scared stupid which listeners will have 
possibly tuned into as the last episode. That is a good, very young kids movie, but apparently it also like got reviews for being too scary for kids. But it's got the same makeup artist as Killer Clowns from Outer Space, so it's just a good time no matter what. Yes, the creatures in that movie are look surprisingly good. Yeah, they're fun. Well, it's interesting because like you get those different parents have different ideas of what's appropriate for children. Yeah, that's why I'm giving a whole spectrum of movies, by the way, is because you can kind of. If you're a parent or you're just someone who's kind of taking a break from horror for being too scared or or too transgressive, these are good, like, middling, I want to be scared, but I don't want to be offended kind of movies. But I also had Hubie Halloween as just a dumb comedy horror movie, which is fun because that was a good one from last year. At least I think so. I really enjoyed it. And then if you're just in the YouTube generation, Marble Hornets is a good good several hour long horror movie um, of five to 10 minute clips of someone running away from the slender man. If you like eight minutes of somebody's feet followed by 10 seconds of something in the distance, Marble Hornets is for you. Tarantino's favorite horror series. Yeah. <laughs> um, but Marble Hornets is a good one. If no, if that that's probably the most obscure one I'm recommending on the list here. There's a particular window of people that like they're like, oh yeah, Marble Hornets. Yeah. So I remember when that was like a thing. Uh it's a Slenderman uh horror vlog on YouTube. You can look up a playlist that's the whole series because it's actually across different channels. And the whole premise is somebody is being hunted by the Slender Man, and it's a found footage exploration of that. And it's the only one that doesn't get into like a ton of cursing and language. Um, all the other <laughs> Slender vlogs had a lot of language. In fact, one of them started out with no language, and then like he would apologize whatever he did, and then he just gave up. He just decided my demographic's not children, so who cares? But yeah, Marble Hornets is a good one. But I thought that was a good spectrum across of like family teen horror. If you find Nightbooks, Daniel's recommendation maybe to be too scary. But I guess you wouldn't know unless you tuned into it. But I don't know. What do you think? Is that a good list? Is that a good any anything on there you think is too much out of the things that I've mentioned? If you've seen them, I guess. I love the image of like a seven year old just being sat in front of YouTube to watch all of Marble Hornets. <laughs> Yeah. Well, they're already going to sit in front of just stuff that rots their brain anyway. Kinder Egg Surprise, uh, uh, Grab Bag Mystery, My Hero Academia Hot Topic Purchase. What are you going to get? It's it's the chase. I'm sorry, but Marvel Hornets might be a little more interesting. (laughs) I I think a formative horror experience for a lot of people is Scooby-Doo. Oh my gosh. How did I not? (laughs) I I can't believe I... Yeah, the classic, um, the direct-to-DVD movies, Zombie Island, Cyber Chase. Which everyone from my generation remembers the ads. This time, the monsters are real. Yeah. And my parents were like, you can't watch that. (laughs) So to this day, I've never seen Scooby-Doo and Zombie Island. Everybody had a crush on the Hex Girls. Everybody had a crush on the Hex Girls. And my one of my youth leaders <laughs> says the reason you had crush on the Hex Girls and the fairy from Fern Gully is because they were girls who showed their midriff. And so now I'm pretty sure there's a Wikipedia list of called fictional characters in animated movies who showed their midriff that everybody liked when they were growing up. The last 15 seconds of this podcast were some of the weirdest audio I think we've ever recorded. It's very formative. You're like, everyone had, had a crush on the Hex Girls, to which I had in complete silence. I'm like, I don't even know who you're talking about. The Hex Girls from, and then you, from the Witch and One. And you're like, Fern Gully. You don't which, remember? No. I, from I, that, you have no memory of the Hex Girls. That's Tim Curry's in that particular Scooby-Doo one. You don't remember this one at all? No, I, I was not a 
devout well, watcher I guess you of did the direct just say, video. You did just say that your parents were like, you're not watching those. <laughs> yes. It's all they real. liked Scooby-Doo, all the ones where the people were not real, and they liked Cyber Chase. They liked it when the bad guys were capitalists. That's very strange for a, a very <laughs> Christian family. That <laughs> Well, they liked the, they liked their, their, I was being taught that ghosts and ghouls aren't real things. But I was always drawn to I was always drawn to spooky things as a kid. And mm-hmm. there's a whole episode in there somewhere, which I've always wanted to talk about my own fascination with horror. But then like, so that was, that was okay. And then cyber chase was okay. Partially because my grandparents bought it for me. My grandparents had a completely different idea of what was appropriate. But then when my parents were like, ah, it's a computer virus. And that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Did they not know what was going to happen in 20 years? There's, well, it wasn't, it's not supernatural. So. And an oil pipeline was going to shut down for a week and the entire East coast was going to need gas just because, oh, but viruses aren't real. Yeah. <laughs> well, my parent, my parents thing is just like anything supernatural. They were not a fan of that. They, they thought that was evil and I shouldn't watch that. So that, so anything like that was totally out. But then, like, makes sense. Something like, <laughs> something like, re- quote unquote, realistic was okay as long as it wasn't too violent or sexual or whatever. So, what's more realistic? A, what is it you said like two episodes ago? A ghoul or a computer virus? Well, I was like, well, it's like <laughs> talking about what's more morally questionable. Like I said, like something involving a ghost, which is not real, or the mob, which is a right. real thing that causes... <laughs> or Hannibal real... Lecter, a serial killer. Which is a thing. That's a real which thing. Which is real. These are real things. Cannibalism is also a real thing. Yeah. All objectively more evil than <laughs> a werewolf or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yes. <laughs> How do you want to close this out? This was your idea, talking about family horror. I like, finished my idea. My yeah, idea was like, done 30 but like, minutes why? ago. Like, okay, but well, well, why? Why, why, is why, it, why do I like nightbooks? Or? Not nightbooks, but I guess it's just like, <laughs> in particular, talking about a horror for kids. Like, what what do you think is the use or benefit of this kind of thing? So, for, in my mind, this is for every parent who they're sitting there and they're trying to think of like, okay, like my kid wants to watch something for Halloween. If you observe... And observe, like like it's a Catholic thing. So you want to watch all Saint? You want to watch something for All Saints Day? Yeah, you want to watch something at the Harvest Party where we do trunk or treat or whatever. And you, but you don't want to watch one of those movies with with some sort of Jason or Freddy in it. And you also don't want to do anything. Watch something that's filled with evil mysticism or whatever. Well, I guess this movie has kind of like a witch in it. Anywho, but I thought it's just like I it's feel just like a for, cosplayer. It just for, has a cosplayer. <laughs> so we tell them <laughs> yeah. this was filmed at comic con you know <laughs> they're hired to promote like the new assassin's creed game or whatever um <laughs> you're just there's a, i feel like there's a whole demographic of people that they are not as weird about horror films as probably the previous generation is but they still have moral standards sure but th- so they don't want to show their kids something that will be traumatic to them absolutely or something that will be inappropriate or have something like nudity or promote witchcraft in some way so I felt like Nightbooks is very much just a modernization of a fairy tale. So it has a lot of the hallmarks of a fairy tale and with the same sort of morality play at it, there's lessons for children in there. Uh, there's a, you get, there's a feel good feeling at the end of the movie, but it is scary and it does sort of embrace the, the atmosphere of the season, so to speak. So if you want to have like a family appropriate horror film, I just feel like that's something that's hard to find without having to sit down and watch the movie. yourself. I mean, ultimately I don't know what you think is perfect for your kids. 
the thing I'll say, you have to watch it yourself, watch it with them. If you can feel the vibe getting weird and your kid starts to cry, then turn it off or whatever. But like, that's different for every kid. Like, you know, I know people that can't watch literally anything with any sort of danger or death in it because like their kid just can't handle that at all. And I also know people who as a child, they just watch all kinds of stuff they probably shouldn't have. So that's kind of up to you. But I feel like it is difficult now to sort of suss out what it is like because like there's gonna be people who are like scary stories tell in the dark it's gonna be objectively too scary for the kids it is or, scary <laughs> you know scary or one. their kids think scooby-doo is lame so they gotta find something in the middle there or you, mm-hmm. you know they watch courage county dog and the thing in the slab looks like something from the reboot tv show and their kids are just like what is this and so they're like <laughs> all right turn it off so that, that was kind of my only thought is I'm like, you know what, this is specific things, but also just like, I like recommending things. Yeah. You know, people maybe haven't seen, like, I feel like our show, we kind of get, unfortunately just do the nature of things. We kind of have to review and talk about things that are popular or going to get clicks or going to show up in somebody's algorithm. So we got to talk about the superhero thingy. Uh, we have not talked about squid game, which is the most watched show on Netflix of all time partially because it's just hard to still watch a whole TV show unless you're already watching it. Mm-hmm. But like outside of that, we tend to we tend to follow trends pretty well. And so I think just having a weird diversion of like this movie that came out in September that no one saw, but it's totally perfect for now. I was I will always be ready to champion something like that. So that's all I had. I didn't that's it. I'm, uh, that's <laughs> nice. Great. <laughs> I like this movie and I'm not afraid to to tell everyone. Thanks so much for checking out this episode of Cinematic Doctrine. If you enjoyed this episode, consider leaving a review and subscribing to the podcast. And as mentioned before, Cinematic Doctrine has a Patreon. For as little as $3 a month, you're opted into a once-a-month movie poll where you decide a movie we discuss on the podcast. There are other unique benefits that come with supporting the podcast, so be sure to check that out at patreon.com forward slash cinematic doctrine. A special shout out to those who support at the Art House Theater tier on Patreon. Thank you so much, Mom, Dad, Melanie, Sherlyon, and Thomas. You guys are the best, and your continued monetary support is greatly appreciated. Until next time, stay cool. Want some Cinematic Doctrine swag? You're in luck. We've got 3-inch Cinematic Doctrine logo stickers exclusive for Patreon supporters. Perfect for your travel mug or laptop. Head over to patreon.com forward slash cinematic doctrine, link in the show notes, and choose the independent theater tier. Doing so will net you other perks too. But let's be real, the podcast stickers are the coolest perk. So get yourself some podcast stickers by supporting on Patreon.